0: Okay, we are going to get to study probably my favorite story in the entire Old Testament. The guy's name is Mephibosheth, easy for me to say. And nobody ever names their kid Mephibosheth, nobody. I, I mean, I've been doing this for over three decades and I've never gone to the hospital and they go, I want you to meet my little brother. This is Mephibosheth. So right now, I want you, in the best way you can, I want you to say his name on the count of three. One, two, three. It's pretty good. Some of you went, okay. That's good. Mephibosheth. What a great name. And we're going to dive into his story this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. This uh, summer, I'm really enjoying our time together and This series, uh, it allows me freedom like I've not had in a long time because I love series. Preachers love to preach series and they're thematic, they're topical, they're extremely biblical. But in this series, I'm just kind of going through favorite passages that just jump out in the summer months and as we launch into our I2 series this fall that you'll be hearing about in months to come. But uh, what I want to say is, I want to give you a little background before we get into this story. The people of the Old Testament wanted a king. They insisted on a king. They begged for a king. They pleaded for a king. And finally, God said, all right, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. Now, you read the Old Testament and you see that there are a lot of wicked kings and there were some good kings. And then the people went, I I didn't want that. It's like I have people, you know, come to me. They go, hey, I want this. I want that. And they get it. And they go, I didn't want that. That's not what I was talking about in a husband. That ain't what I was talking about in a wife. That ain't what I was talking about in a job. That's not what i was talking about in whatever but they they got it and the story goes on and then there was this one king and he rose up and he was a strong victorious king his name was Saul and he was greatly graced of God only problem was he really got full of himself he got extremely prideful and things just began to kind of blow apart on his life God took the anointing away from King Saul and Saul was if you would demonized. he he battled with demons and depression and discouragement. And he had a hard time, as you read in the Old Testament, and, and there was this guy, and he was from the house of Jesse. And when they went looking for a king, he goes, hey, do you have any more sons? Like, we got this one little ruddy boy. He's like out tending the sheep, and he becomes the king. We know about King David. But he had this gift. He would go, and he would tend his sheep, and he would play his harp. And he could play that harp well. So the king invited him into his house, and he played his harp for King Saul. And when he played the harp, it soothed the king. He relaxed, and the king went to sleep, and so it was good. Well, then he raised him up to power in his house and the palace, and he was having all these victories, and he'd already fought Goliath and on and on. And like pride will do, he, Saul grew extremely jealous. He didn't, he didn't much care for this king David, or he wasn't a king. He didn't care for David because David was like, Getting the glory, David was getting the credit. Oh, you've slayed this many. You slayed thousands, but he's slayed tens of thousands. And it's like there's it just all on his face. It's like you are LeBron. You are LeBron James. You are great. Blessed are you. You know, I don't know how I worked that in there. I guess because we just finished the NBA finals. But anyway, but probably poor example. But the, the thing is, they, they didn't. He didn't really want to hear it. So in, in the process, because he comes into the king's palace, he develops this incredible friendship with his son, and his son's name is. Jonathan, David and Jonathan, the greatest friendship probably in Scripture. And they have this incredible bond. And and then he says, well, hey, you know, your your dad, you know, your your dad didn't really like me. Your your dad's trying to kill me. Now, can you all imagine going over to somebody's house when you're in middle school or high school and you're saying, hey, your dad didn't really like me did that happen to anybody besides me okay okay but but you're saying but this was like your dad's trying to kill me and it's like oh no not my dad he he, he won't kill you David but he said okay we're really good friends you're my best friend we'll make a deal so they go out and they go I'm gonna shoot an air, and if it goes beyond and you just keep going and but my dad my dad's for you well long story shorter he basically he finds out hey because they're sitting at the dinner table. He goes, where's David? Oh, David, I, I sent him out. You know, he's with his family. He's like, oh, uh, And he grows furious. Now, I, I've thought about this. King Saul had warriors and people around him, but at his dinner table, he had a spear. How many of y'all walked to the, to the kitchen table with a loaded gun or a spear? I <laughs> that mean, that he had a spear. And he picked up the spear, and he hurled it at his own son. And, and then Jonathan goes... Hey, David, I don't think my dad likes you. And he goes out, and he gets him free, and they make this covenant that, hey, I'll bring kindness and goodness to your family. And the thing was, Jonathan was going to be an heir to the king because he's in that lineage, and, and yet he already knew in his heart that this guy had power and the blessing of God upon him. So we pick up the story here, but, but I want you to go here. you got to flip here somewhere first. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 4. Just flip over a few pages. Here's where Mephibosheth enters the story in Scripture. In 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. And that's very important that you see this because here, here's this little boy, and you know, uh, he's basically, let me tell you why he's fleeing. He's fleeing because in that day, when a king came into rule and to authority, he, was, he, he had the right. Nobody would challenge the king. He could dispose and kill of all others that might be a possible heir to the throne. And so many were threatened, they were so insecure, they would kill off others. So, That's why the the nurse is taking. It's like the only one that really loves this little crippled boy. She's taking care of him. She drops him. But they're but they're trying to flee because they're worried about his life being taken. Now just hold on to that thought because we'll come back to it. But it's an amazing story here as you look at what's going to happen to him because he would be an heir to the throne, and yet it's this real story of redemption and grace. So I want to do something a little different. There's four characters here, and you. In 2 Samuel 9, you might see them in your Bible, and I won't tell you the exact verse. You could just run through there. The four characters are Mephibosheth. You could circle the word Mephibosheth in your Bible. That'd be a good thing, okay? You could circle the word Zeba. That's a character. You could circle the word Jonathan. He's a character. And you could circle the word David. Those are the four main characters of the Mephibosheth story, if you will. Now, I found this thing as I've been studying. I've read this passage over and over through the years. I just love this story. But I found this thing, and it's a little long, but it's, it just kind of, instead of me just reading 2 Samuel 9 and the story three to you, I want to read this thing. It was by Bill Versteeg, this pastor, and he, he just kind of describes this in the life to a child. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get it when I read it from a childlike perspective. How about you? Do I have any takers in the house? And all you that are so educated and full of yourself, you just bear with us, okay? Here it is. There was a knock on the front door. Makir went to answer the door, and there stood Ziba, Ziba, with an authoritative look on his face and his gardening cloths. He told Makir the news bluntly. David wants to see Mephibosheth now. And middle-aged Mephibosheth trembled, sitting on his mat in the corner of the room. Remember, he got dropped. He's a little cripple boy by the cool breeze of a window. Even in the heat of the day, he felt a cold chill run through his arms and back. Now, finally, after all these years, he's been in hiding. He's a fugitive, folks. King David had gotten to him, found him. Now his life was going to end, too. His fear was mixed with an overwhelming emotion. It's not fair. It's not fair. And he is deeply concerned for Micah, his own son, for whom all this was definitely not fair. Mephibosheth was right. His life had not been fair. He had started out great. His father was Prince Jonathan. His grandfather was King Saul, the first great king of Israel and Judah. He was royalty, and royalty had many privileges when he was young. Everything seemed to come his way the gifts, the friends, the fun, all because he was royalty. But back then, he even had a royal name, Mirabel, meaning opponent of Baal. Baal was a false god, and we know from the Old Testament and Kings. But now his name was different. Mephibosheth meant son of shame, all because that one day when everything changed, when he was a little boy, just five years old, as we read, a man, bloodied and exhausted man, ran to the palace gates and yelled out, King Saul... And his sons are dead. King Saul and his sons are dead. What are we going to do? And the same cold chill ran through his body that day many years before. Back then he didn't understand, but suddenly the palace became a place of panic. Wives wept. Servants were white with fear. Mephibosheth remembered how his nurse came running up to him with a few things in her hand and she yelled run mirabelle run for your life run and he didn't understand he ran with her as as he could but his five-year-old legs could only go so far he had to stop let me just stop right there just the other day i'm I'm at walmart or somewhere and i'm watching this little boy with his mama and he was taking 72 steps every two steps of the dad (laughs) you you know what i'm saying you you know how kids can frustrate you because they and then finally what do parents do Full of frustration and exhausted, they bend over and what? Pick him up. We got, we got to go, son. We got to go, daughter. In desperation, his nurse picked him up with Mirabelle in her arms. She ran and ran, but she didn't notice the chariot rut just in front of her, and his ankle buckled. She fell, and he flew out of her hands, and he landed with a hard smack on his back. And Mirabelle didn't feel the pain in his back right away. And his nurse, weeping, seeing that he looked okay, picked him up, kept on hobbling on her sore ankle. She had to get young Prince Mirabelle into hiding. It was a short while later that she discovered. That he was hurt bad and exhausted, she put him to the ground, hoping that he would walk or even run for a way. But all he did was fall to the ground. She begged him to stand up, but he couldn't. His back was broken. His feet, his feet, were, his his feet, his legs, they were absolutely useless. On that day, his prince, his dad, Prince Jonathan, died, and his grandpa, King Saul, died in battle on that day. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. The scripture talks about this. He got the news that his pa, his papa, and his grandfather had just died. That, that's pretty tough for a five-year-old, for anybody. And Mirabelle's life went terribly wrong. His nurse took him to Lodabar, a city far away from the palace. His name changed from Mirabel to Mephibosheth. After all, who could be interested in a person with a name like that? Because you know what the word Mephibosheth means? Son of shame. And he had to learn how to live without his legs. Okay, there, but he had nothing. He had to learn to sit again. He had to learn to be carried by others. He had to learn to be cared for by others. And he always had to pay special attention to his little feet. And they quickly developed sores. And then he took a long time to heal because they had poor circulation due to lack of exercise. A lot of health issues for the little guy. It wasn't fair. He hurt his grandpa, had badly disobeyed God. And King Saul again and again had tried to kill King David or David, who God had chosen to be king. King Saul had even gone to a witch to see if he could get spiritual advice. Not a good idea. As a result, Grandpa Saul died, and so did his dad, Prince Jonathan. And Mirabel, now the Phoebus chef for years, was left to fend for himself. And now Ziba was at the door. King David wants to see Mephibosheth now. A flash of anger ripped through Mephibosheth's fear. How did King David hear that he was there anyways? The only answer, Zeba. Ziba was in charge of taking care of his property. And Mephibosheth couldn't take care of his property. Crippled he was. And when the call had gone out for the king for any member of Saul's household to be found, Ziba had been quick to answer for his own benefit. But there was nothing Mephibosheth could do. His legs just didn't work. Now hold on with me. I'm almost through he could not fight. He could only face the end of his life with honor to go and see King David. He felt like he was cursed just because his grandfather, everything went wrong for him. Let me just put in the margin there. The sins of our former generations, they, they mess us up. And if we're not careful, we repeat those same sins. At times he wished he had never been on a been a prince. There was no way of changing that. Ziba was at the door. King David wants to see Mephibosheth now. And soldiers and kings and foot soldiers, they forced their way into the door bas- past Mekir, and they picked Mephibosheth up by his arms. They placed him on a muddy floor of a chariot, and the race began across country. Without legs to cushion, the shock of the rough cross-country ride to Jerusalem, Mephibosheth's entire body ached. But again, with no words of explanation, no sensitivity to his pain, the, sho- the sh- soldiers hosted the little boy on their shoulders, and they carried him to the palace, through the gates, through the door after door, and they put him on the floor right before King David, where he was sitting. And Mephibosheth stretched out his hands and he put his face to the ground, not daring even to look at the king, hoping that the sword would fall quickly to end his life. Seeing that day, he thought he would be disposed because now King David had found him. Mephibosheth, 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 without even daring to look out, Mephibosheth couldn't raise his head. He said, Your servant. Don't be afraid, King David said, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth couldn't believe what he was hearing. He glanced up to see if, in fact, that it was King David speaking. He quickly put his face to the ground. Who am I that I should notice that you should notice a dead dog like me? Dead dog? That was a fitting name. It seemed anyone who opposed King David, the king chosen by God, was a dead dog. Mephibosheth could not expect anything different. But as Mephibosheth waited face down, waited for the sword to cut through his little body, he waited for the curse to do its worst. Nothing happened. He heard King David making Ziba Mephibosheth's servant. And not only Ziba, but Ziba's family and, and household. And all that belonged to his grandfather Saul now belonged to him. Mephibosheth was given a position of honor with King David at the dinner table. He didn't understand why. He found out that King David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father, had been very good friends before Jonathan was killed. And he discovered something very special about David. David had God's love in his heart. And he wanted to show God's love and kindness to others, even to Mephibosheth. Why don't I read that to you like that? Because it's a little, I like the way it was written. And it's a story of grace. The Old Testament foreshadows that which is yet to come. This story is my favorite story in the Old Testament probably because it foreshadows the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church said, Mephibosheth was born royalty. He was born with great purposes. He was, you know, the grandchild of the great king. Life just doesn't work out and it goes extremely south. And then the little boy, as we read earlier, to flee, he gets dropped. There's no urgent care to take Mephibosheth to to be treated or x-ray or see if there's any kind of surgery they can do. Mephibosheth is just crippled all his life. And yet today, it's one of the greatest stories in my life that I read about is a little crippled boy that God shows his unbelievable grace to a little boy. God tells the story. God did not forget Mephibosheth. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now. I could preach this about 42 different ways. God has not forgotten you. Let me say that again. God has not forgotten you. There are people in this room right now, you think God has given up. You think God doesn't hear you. You think God's forgotten you. I want you to go back and read this story throughout your life. Because you just see that God just doesn't give up. God doesn't forget that which he creates. So the stories about grace, God's favor, undeserved, unrepayable, unmerited, divine love, extended to sinners. I stand on this stage because of grace and grace alone. I'm a Christian because of grace. You're a follower of Jesus because of the grace of God that you tasted and you've seen. And the Holy Spirit has become real in your life because of Grace. I want you to fill in the first blank. Everything changes when the king comes calling. When King Jesus comes calling, everything has to change. I remember it just like yesterday. We were just down there just over a month ago as Hannah was graduating from university, walking that wonderful campus where I came to know Jesus. And I thought about the night that the call came from the king of kings and lord of lords. Everything had to change. Do you remember when the king called you by name? Do you remember when the king called you and your, your heart was arrested? Your heart stopped? Your heart surrendered? Your heart yielded? You got new desires? Well, I hope you do. And if you don't, the good news is today could be the day of grace, an awakening. But the king has come. He's here. He, he comes to establish his kingdom. But I want to just drive this thought right here. Things have to change. I mean, can you imagine this little boy? He grows up to be a man. You go, well, who are you? Hello, my name is Mephibosheth. Okay, everybody's like, well, man, your name's kind of hard to say. Although in the Old Testament, there's a lot of hard names in the Hebrew to pronounce. But what it means. Hi, I'm son of shame. What's your name? Not the name you want. Imagine the pain for this little boy. Five years old. He lost his dad. He lost his granddad. I can identify with this story because about five years old, people in my family started dying and six and seven. And at nine, I lost my mom and my grandfather. I lost my best friend up to that point. It's hard. I mean, that's what Mephibosheth started with. Can you imagine Mephibosheth being the little boy? And he's crippled and he's pushed off into the corner. He's made fun of. He's mocked by other kids. Mephibosheth doesn't have a real great story here. Can you imagine the others mocking and making fun of him? But can you also imagine the day that Ziba came knocking at the door? Mephibosheth probably thought this. My time of execution has come. It is time for me to die. Death was imminent. What, that's, that's what the Old Testament kings and those stories teach me. But look at the next one. Grace will find you. Grace will find you first. Count on it. When you think God's bell, when you think God's forgotten you, grace comes. Now, we can so sear our conscience and harden our hearts to an almighty God, and he comes knocking and we ignore him, and he never forces him way, his way on you. Grace comes first. I love that. David asked there, in, in the story there in 2 Samuel, if you'll look there in, in chapter 9, one day, in verse 1, David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, King David is an oath keeper. He's a covenant keeper. Okay, let's bring a current vernacular King David is the first promise keeper. He keeps a promise to Mephibosheth's dad, Jonathan. Something for you and I to say. I could preach a whole thing on marriage right there. Are we keeping our oath, our vow to the one that we said yes to? Just a thought here. When we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. Here he is. He's in this disgraced family because he's in a family of royalty, but he's in a family that's you know, been pretty wicked. I mean, King Saul didn't have a great resume. There's a doomed family and death is going to be sent to me. he thinks. But then look at the next one. Grace, God's grace remembers us. God doesn't forget us. I, I want to keep driving that point home because I need to hear it in my heart and you need to hear it today. We can't hear enough about grace, but God's not forgotten you, friend. He's just a prayer way. He's just a confession away of your sin and repentance and turning and trusting. He, he's there. But Mephibosheth is really forgotten by his nation. He's forgotten by his family. He's abandoned. He's crippled. So what can Mephibosheth possibly do for King David? What does he have to offer David? You know what? Think about grace. Honestly, what do you have to offer God? What do you and I have to offer God? It's not rhetorical. Go ahead. What do we have to offer God? Nothing. Nothing. You're going, hey, my looks, my muscles, my intellect. Don't look at me and laugh Uh, or or, or whatever. You know, we all go, ah, God, I I can offer this to you. That's nothing. We really have nothing. But you know what? God's grace motivates him to love us when we were yet sinners. Christ dies for us, Romans 5.8. It's the whole story of Romans, man, grace, amazing grace. Then I want you to look on down there at verse 4. Look, Look what it picks up. It says, Ziba about the little cripple boy, it says, where is he, the king asks, in Lodabar. Now let me tell you about Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture. It means wilderness. Lodabar means slums. So he moves out of the palace. He's a fugitive, a fugitive of the law. He's on the run, and he finds himself over here with, with a wilderness with no future. Not a very good place for... The, the grandson of the king. I mean, wow, man. Yeah, the other thing, man, I'm, I'm really forgotten. But what does David do? He says, I'm going to extend kindness to Jonathan's family. Is there anyone? He goes, Yeah, there's one. There, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's a little crippled boy. But he, there is one. So David reaches out. Look at the next thing God's grace carries us. See, Mephibosheth couldn't help himself. They didn't have wheelchairs, wheelchairs weren't invented yet. Mephibosheth had to be carried on some stretcher or mat, or they had to pick him up everywhere he went. And you know what? That's a beautiful picture for you and I this morning that I need. God carries us. In our weakness, he is strong. And can I hear a big amen? amen. God carries you this morning. If you submit yourself to him. Some of you are like, man, I need to be carried. Mephibosheth, man, I, I love it, man. You'd think, man, with a, you know, man, I'm a grand, you know, I'm a my dad was a prince, my grandfather was the king, and I'm living in the slum. And God's grace just shows up and he carries him. And, and, and God's grace is dependent upon his ability, not mine and yours. It's all about what he's doing. So he expects here in, in verse 7, look what it says here. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I love that word Circle in your Bible. Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. And somebody today came just to hear that sentence. Don't be afraid. There are people in here today, you're afraid of something. You're afraid of the future. You're afraid of disease. You're afraid of a relationship. You're afraid of the economy. You're just afraid. And and God, once again, it's not the gospel story, but it's the story of the Old Testament. He says, don't be afraid. Let me carry you. And I was just thinking, this oath-keeping king, what, what are we afraid of today? Maybe I'll build a case in a minute. When you can't walk any farther, let God carry you. Have you ever been there before? Have you just been going through life and things are going really good as a Christ follower? Or maybe you're not in Christ, but you just, you, things are working out, they're not working out. And you get to a point and you just can't go any farther. And you just say, God, I cannot. I give up. Has anybody ever been there? Just raise your hand. It's a great place to be, in not it? You're saying, well, wait a minute, great. No, it is a great place to be in the kingdom. Because when you and I cease our striving, we begin to depend on our Heavenly Father. And Mephibosheth, see, he didn't really have a chance anyway. I mean, he, it's not, not like he can physically get up and go anywhere anyway. But God's trying to teach us that we're crippled. And we're trying to hide it and everything else. And God's saying, give up, submit, yield, I'll carry you. I'm, I'm telling you, there, there is an anointing on this word this morning. Amen. And we need this. And you're saying, oh, I don't need that. I wish my friend was here today. I always like everybody. I wish my wife was here. I wish my husband was here. I, I wish my boss was here, man. Here, can we get the CD? Hey. No, you're here. Then go on the web and listen to it. I'm hoping you're hearing it. Look, let me give you a verse here, a New Testament passage. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. His strength, not my strength, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness because I decrease, I die, he lives. So what does this story demonstrate? The power of grace. The power of redemptive grace is all through the life of Mephibosheth. And I don't know about you, I can't read enough stories about grace. I can't hear about grace enough. I just need some grace. How many of you just want to get beat up with the law every weekend? Till Jesus comes. And just beat you with a pa. I don't. I need the law. It shows me my need for grace. It shows you my need for a savior. But I need some grace messages sometimes. How about you? Now here's where I get irritated: as those preachers that come on TV and all they preach is grace, grace, grace. It's called abusive grace. There's grace, there is law, and there's a wonderful redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And guys, you never appreciate the New Testament without the Old Testament. You never appreciate heaven unless you know there's a hell. So we've got to get it in balance here. Oh, man, that's a whole message series. I feel one brewing. Anyway, I'm not going to preach it today. Don't worry. Okay, here we go. Fill in the next one. Grace is where you abandon your crippled past and you turn to him. You just choose by an act of your will. Father, I choose to abandon those things that have held me captive long enough, and I want to follow Christ afresh. You sit down and maybe you're staying in your brokenness you've just chosen to camp out you've chosen to live there the king the book of kings would say the brook is dried up and it's time to move and this morning you could choose that. hey i just want to stay in this kind of broken place or you could choose to rise up in the power of the risen christ this morning and be redeemed and walk in redemptive nature in the power of christ and trade your past for the presence of christ Jeff didn't know exactly what I was preaching. He just knew it was grace. But one of those songs today, the one that we kept singing over and over, and it talked about his presence, that's what we need. Oh, we need the presence of Jesus. I need it. You need it. The world needs it. But you could choose to stay in your paralyzed state and be frozen and never push through that, and not know the joy of the Lord, and what Christ has for you, or you can let fear overwhelm you, it's to be fear of the future, fear of death, fear of suffering, fear of something, fear of dogs, I don't know what you got a fear of, just a fear of something, I mean, there are people in this room, you're probably scared to death of dogs, it's kind of funny to me, I mean, I, I don't want to go get some pit bull that's like on rabies or something, you know, but I mean, but most, you know, I remember one time, my brother had this St. Bernard, man, things like a small Shetland pony, and, uh, and, and AUM had not been there that many years, and I remember taking him out, and I got him out of the back seat, and it was the funniest thing. I ran into these three big bodybuilders, and I was lifting weights, but I was never I never looked like you might crouch. I was just, you know, I was lean, though. And these guys come walking up and uh, and and they were coming and, and I, I had this big choker chain and I pulled and his name was Suge. You know, we were an Auburn fan, Suge Jordan. Anyway, so I so I pulled Suge out of the back seat. And Suge looks just like a Shetland pony. Now, Suge, the only fear that we had in Suge, he would slobber you to death. That was about the grossest dog. Just they just, and it was in the summer, and I was feeling kind of sorry for the dog. You know, dog sitting over the air conditioner. Anyway, I pull him out, and you ought to have seen those big bodybuilders. As soon as I got out of the car, they were, they were man, where'd they go? And they were sitting in the car with the windows rolled up. I'm like, dude, the dog's probably gonna slobber on you, okay? And it was. So they had a fear of dogs. Man, I don't want to tell you that probably changed somebody's life in here. I don't know. Okay, so hey, it's a great story. I've been kind of deep here, and got you. We just need to kind of loosen up. You know, communicators learn that sometimes you got to cut it a little bit. Is that okay, church? All right. Now, please don't leave here going, "Oh, he told the best story about a Saint Bernard today." I hate that when they talk about preachers. Oh man, a preacher tells a great story. I want to tell you the gospel. I want to tell you about God. I want, I want to preach God's word. I mean, it's been full of it. So let's get back to it. Grace restores. Grace causes us to repent. Grace causes us to begin again. I want you to write down a verse, Jeremiah three twenty-two, And in Jeremiah 3, there's four simple words. And here's what I think God wants me to say today. Come back to me. That's my heart today. In this message about Mephibosheth and the grace of God is come back to me. Return to me. Return to your first love. Don't Enjoyed being spiritually crippled. We're crippled by sin. We're wounded by the fall. And through the grace of Jesus, God adopts us into the family of God. Adoption is God's idea grace is where we discover that we were who we were born to be and the purposes that god gives us and the power to become what christ wants us to be so david looks down on mephibosheth and he restores his place he puts him in the palace he puts him at the table and he gives him this position of royalty there if you would he gives him a position of fellowship because he gets to sit at the king of the table the table of the king And this morning, you probably have already seen, there are tables. We're going to go in a few minutes, and we're going to sit at the table of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to sit. You're not going to walk. You're not going to stand on your head. You're not going to kneel. You're going to go, and you're going to be invited, and you will sit at the table. Because in this story, the Holy Spirit just let me know. I want people to come and sit at the table. So today, you're going to come. Now, it won't be a long experience, because there will be others waiting, but you will sit And my prayer that you will sit in the presence of the king and you'll remember Mephibosheth because David said, Mephibosheth, I want you to come and I want you to dine at my table. Let me tell you something I never really thought about. Mephibosheth would sit at the table. And I don't know what the table looked like in those days, but let's just suppose that there were beautiful tablecloths because he is the king. And those tablecloths went running down. And when Mephibosheth sat at the table, those little deformed, broken, crippled legs that probably went opposite ways, they were covered. You see where I'm going, don't you? I'm praying this morning, you let the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, cover you. And when you sit at that table, you don't sit as one worthy. Worthy is the one who was slain, and you sit, and you're covered afresh in the goodness of Christ, the righteousness of the Savior. Let me just give you some quick verses here, but there. Uh, oh, I gotta give you this. Second Samuel. Uh, I mean, not Second Psalm. Well, that don't even sound like Second Samuel. Okay, turn to Psalm with me. Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-five. Can you can you go there with me? It's a great verse. I just want to give it today. Thirty-seven, twenty-five. Once I was young and now I am old. My feeble chest getting older, and yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or the children begging for bread. Here's the promise of God: You seek God, you pursue Him; He will provide. Not every want He will provide your needs. The, these verses, Kent, if you can make sure they come up on the screen, I, I, I think uh, is Romans three ten going to come up there, buddy? There it is. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's nobody in this room. Romans three twenty three: For all have sin, and they fall what? Way short of the glory of God. Let's keep going through it. Romans 5 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to people because how many sin? All sinned. Keep going here. Romans 6 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.12, I love this. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Once you were alienated, once you were strangers, but you've been brought near through Christ. And then Romans 5.8, I've been talking about today. This has always been one of my favorites. But God demonstrates his own love for you and me, and yet in this, while we were yet sinners, when we were yet running our own way, Christ died for us. That is the hope of the blessed gospel this morning, friend. Isn't that good news? Christ dies for sinners. Man, I'm, I feel like I'm a chief of it. Man, I'm, I'm a sinner. So are you. You're like, oh, I'm a sanctified sinner. Awesome. And you're saying, man, I'm just a serious sinner. Repent. Follow Christ. Remember, do, do you remember when you first experienced grace? Do you just remember? I hope you do. Reflect on it. It's that living by grace, sh- uh, sharing grace, being transformed by the power, the, the active, the activity of grace. It's just the goodness of God. So this morning, as I'm trying to wrap it up, we begin to experience, to embrace God's best. We embrace his son We embrace Christ. We embrace God at the expense of his son, Jesus. And Mephibosheth gets to embrace goodness, the goodness of God through King David. We get to experience the goodness of God through King Jesus. What the Father has done for me and you, not in what we've done, not even what we can achieve, but in the finished work of the cross. That's a great word. It's not, it's never gonna be about what you and I do. And yet it's important to be doers of the word, but it's about what Christ has already done at Calvary. Trusting in, submitting to, covered in. You know what it is? Grace is unfair. Grace is unreasonable. Grace is astounding. But grace is here, it's magnificent. So you know what, grace begins, write this down, grace begins and ends with forgiveness. And I'm so glad that this story is tucked away in 2 Samuel about Mephibosheth, because he gets another chance. He gets kind of knocked out, (laughs) nothing of his own fault. What he's doing is just, it wasn't like he sinned, he was five years old. But it comes back with a redemptive story, and God takes care of him. So grace liberates, grace sustains. Isaiah 30, verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you and me. This morning, when you come to the table, just remember, God's gracious. He's gracious to sinners. He calls us to come. He calls us to be covenant keepers. Grace, I like this, it means God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. God loves you and he's not going to take it back. He's not like us. So this morning, you're going to come and you're going to eat. You're going to participate. You're going to receive holy elements. It's intention. I'm going to ask you not to drink from the cup. That's unsanitary. I'm going to ask you to take the bread, the body of Christ. I'm going to ask you to dip it into the cup and to receive it as a sacrament. To receive it as the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll do it in community around the table. There's four table leaders that I picked today. And uh, it's just a beautiful story of the goodness of God. But you come to the table in humility you come to the table in brokenness you come to the table in repentance and I pray you leave the table in thankfulness God do something in us in 2nd Samuel I want you to see this turn over to chapter 19 2nd Samuel 19 I want you to go all the way down to verse 24 David's kindness to Mephibosheth now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, he had not trimmed his beard or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. The king had gone on a journey. It wasn't he's trying to be a slob or unkept. He was in mourning. He loved, and Ziba was full of tricks and full of himself. Zeba represents religion, if you will. In verse 26, Mephibosheth replied, "My lord, the king, my servant Zeba deceived me, and I told him saddle my donkey so I can go with the king. For as you know, I am crippled, and Zeba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my lord, the king, is like an angel of God. So do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord. But instead, you honored me by allowing me to eat at your table. What more can I ask? Let's stop right there. This." Morning, Jesus invites you and me to come to his table verse 29 you've said enough David replied I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you but listen to Mephibosheth I mean this, this guy's been abused his whole life and then he gets to sit at the king's table and then Ziba's trying to take a, a, advantage of him and look what Ziba look what Mephibosheth does in verse 30 I love this attitude I need this attitude you need it give him all of it Mephibosheth said I'm content just to have you safely back again, my Lord, the King. Here's what my feeble chef says I just want you. I only want you, David. You're my friend. And this morning, when you come to the table, that's my only prayer that you'll just say, I just want you, Jesus. I only want you.